You know, we're singing uh, some of those songs, and they just really resonate with your heart and spirit when you're singing. And I couldn't help thinking as we were, we were you know, lifting our voices up before the Lord, how off this world has everything. You know what I'm saying? In this world, it's all about being famous. It's all about being popular. It's all about being wealthy. It's all about this and it's all about that. But in the reality of the scheme of things, it literally means nothing. You want to know why? Barring the rapture, one day, every single one of us is going to die. I mean, how many of you know your great-great-grandparents? Anybody? One person does. Great, great. No, no, great. Okay. The point I'm getting at is we have relatives that are only like three generations past that we don't even know. They're our, our blood relatives. And so we have to realize that life is short. And when this life ends, the only thing that matters, brothers and sisters, when this life ends, is what's your relationship with the Lord. Because it's appointed unto every single man once to die and then judgment. We're going to stand before the Lord. And the only way that we can be found free is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because there's no one who walks this terrestrial ball who's able to keep the law perfectly, as Pastor Frank Jr. brought out so clearly in the first service. No one. And so, therefore, we need to have someone who is an advocate in our behalf. Someone who is able to take the burden and punishment of all that sin for us. And that person, of course, is Jesus Christ. He died and he rose again. And for that reason, you and I have the absolute assurance when we pass from this life to be with the Lord. And that's why when we study the Word of God, it is so important. You know, I not so uh, often anymore, but in the past I've had people ask, why is it you go right through the Bible? Right from Genesis to Revelation, you cover every verse and go right through the Bible. Well, my reason is, is because it's the Word of God. And every part of the Word of God has great relevance to us. And the minute we start taking parts of the Bible and saying, well, this isn't important, or this isn't important, or this, there was actually, it it still goes on, but it's not as uh, well-known or um, as popular as it used to be. But it it was called the Jesus Seminar. And what the Jesus Seminar was all about is you had all of these theologians and you had all these, you know, men and women who were great scholars getting together and going through the New Testament and finding out as they went through the New Testament what Jesus actually said and what he didn't say. Well, I'll tell you what, that is a misguided movement. It's a misguided, uh, you follow what I'm saying? It means nothing. What does the word of God say? It says what it says. It means what it means. And so we are in Exodus chapter 32, if you want to turn there, and we'll pray first. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for the power of your Holy Spirit and also your word of God that is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And we ask as, as we look into this great chapter, the beginning of this great chapter, that you would use it to minister to us, to encourage us, and to direct us. And Lord, as always, I pray that we would leave here just with a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, with a fresh desire to serve and worship you. And now, Father, come and use me, your servant, to minister to these, your people 
that they might receive instruction, not from me, but from your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, we're going to be looking in reality in a moment into relationship in this portion of Scripture. And one of the things I wanted to share with you is the Bible gives very specific instructions between the relationship of a husband and wife. The Bible gives very specific instructions between the relationship of parent and child. The Bible gives very specific instructions of the responsibility of the pastor to the church. The Bible gives very specific instructions of the fellowship we're to have one with another. But let me tell you what the Bible most refers to as we study it is our relationship with him. If you don't have a right relationship with him, all these other relationships are meaningless, mean nothing. You follow what I'm saying? Because they all hinge on our love for God. It makes no difference what the Bible says about this relationship or that relationship if we don't have a right relationship with the Lord. Loving Him above all things. Now, we're going to read in this portion about how the children of Israel so quickly rebelled against the Lord. And especially when we think of Aaron. You know, here he is, uh, the older brother of Moses, and he was with Moses right from the beginning, even when they were going before Pharaoh. And God spoke through Aaron on Moses' behalf to Pharaoh. So here we have Aaron and how quickly he also turned from the Lord and his relationship with his brother Moses. And so as we look at this, we have to understand that all of us fall into this, I think, same dilemma. Because most often, we want to be at peace with people, right? And in this case, Aaron wanted to be at peace with the children of Israel, his family. And so even though Moses had given very specific instructions, these people had seen marvelous miracles of God in their being brought out of Egypt. And then that quickly, they just turned they just turn away from following the Lord and his, you know, very specific instructions because, well, we don't know what's happened to this Moses. He's been up on Mount Sinai for 40 years. You know, he's probably dead. <laughs> we don't know what's happened to him. We don't feel any obligation to him. And so now Aaron, who should be second in charge, the mass of people say, we want you to come up with a God that we can worship. And, of course, Aaron fell to the pressure of the mob, fell to the pressure of the desires of the people, and we're going to read how he fashioned a golden calf in order to keep the people happy. Because we have to realize that sometimes the greatest, tempta greatest temptations we have to turn from the Lord, to look for the approval and acceptance of people, are those that we're the closest to. In Micah, chapter 7, verses 5 through 7, it says this. It says, Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For a son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. 
I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And so the point Micah is making here is that we can have a lot of things other people are saying to us and trying to encourage us in. But the reality is we need to only listen to the Lord. Because we might be allowing people, even those the closest to us, to cause us to turn our back on the Lord. Or to turn our back on what we know His Word says. Again, and actually Matthew is uh, quoting part of Micah here. In Matthew chapter 10 and verses 34 through 38 it says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Now it's not talking at this point sword as far as killing one another and fighting in war. It's talking about conflict when it talks about the sword. The sword of the mouth, conflict between one another. Verse 35, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. He's quoting Micah here. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. And then he goes on and he says this. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so the point that's being brought out here is, of course, we're to love one another. Of course, we're to love our family. But the reality is, if our love for our family goes beyond our love for the Lord, then the pressure from our family and our close friends can cause us to turn from the Word of God and to go in a way that is is not in keeping with His Word. We have to adhere to the Word of God and His love more than trying to please one another. And loving, trusting, and believing loved ones, you know, understand that. Loving and trusting and believing in our loved ones doesn't mean we won't have differences of opinion. We have to understand that. Because we have to realize that we're not going to agree on everything, and that's okay. That's why Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one's mountain, one man's countenance sharpens another. So these differences that we might have between one another can cause us to become sharper in the Lord. can be a very positive thing. So we have to realize that in relationships, sometimes those things happen. And when I look at this portion, it would blow my mind when I look at this portion, to see how quickly the children of Israel fell or lapsed into apostasy. It would blow my mind, except for the fact that I remember how quickly at times I can lapse into apostasy. Right? If we're being honest, we all know what I'm talking about. All of us have those times that, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's to be a man pleaser or to make things a little bit easier or whatever, we turn our back on the Word of God in order to please man. And what this is showing us is that we can't do that. The only peace that any of us, any of us will ever have is in the Lord. And so we're picking up in chapter 32 of Exodus and verse 1. Chapter 32 of Exodus and verse 1. Okay, starting with verse 1, chapter 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron. They came to Aaron. You know, and it's funny, as a pastor, whenever a group comes... And let me just share this. This never happens anymore. It really never happens anymore. I'm so thankful for the unity and peace we have in our fellowship. But going back many years ago when I was a new pastor, whenever I had a group that said, we'd like to meet with you after church, 
You know what I always thought? Oh, my gosh. Uh, and whenever they would come to meet with me, this was their first line. Everyone is thinking or believing this or that. And the everyone was usually that group. And so I, I get a kick out of this that, you know, where's Moses? You know, he's a long time coming. And what do they do? They gather together to Aaron, <laughs> you know, to the pastor. And they said to him, come, make us gods, plural, little g in your Bible, that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, so they recognize he's the one who brought them out of slavery, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, you know, they didn't give any more instructions than, than what we just read. And Aaron turns right around and, and take note of this. And Aaron, there's meaning behind this, and we'll talk about it in a moment. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters. Notice the mature men didn't have the earrings, and we'll talk about what that means in a moment. And bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a, and uh, molded a calf. That's false worship, probably Baal. But it's false worship. It's the kind of paganism that they came out of Egypt in order to avoid, in order to go away from. So this... They fell right back into it. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel. Israel, or Israel, what it literally means is belonging to God. So if the children of Israel belong to God, and they're coming, turning right around and saying, this is your God, O Israel. Do you realize how blasphemous that is? That brought, up, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink. And the word that is used there refers to alcohol, to eat. And the word also for eat is to gluttonize and to drink alcohol and rose up to play. Here's the thing. You can't mix facts with fable because whenever you mix the truth with a lie it inevitably inevitably becomes a lie they just don't mix truth is pure and solid and complete you can't mix anything with it and sometimes even today people try to do that they they say well this is my faith but i'm going to mix a little bit of this in and i'm going to mix a little bit of that in you can't do it the purity of God's word is the only thing that we have as a litmus test concerning the way we should live, concerning the way we should worship, concerning the way we should serve the Lord. It's his word and his word alone. Anytime someone's theology or doctrine or advice is contrary to the word of God, that makes them a liar. And you might say, well, that's harsh terminology. Well, we're Bereans. Where does that come from? Acts 17:11. The Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message, teachings of Paul, with all eagerness. Now listen to this. But daily they examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. 
So I hope you're all Bereans. Don't just take what I'm saying, you know, well, that's, that's the pastor. I'm just a man. I don't want to be the one who instructs you. I want it to be the Holy Spirit. I want to be the one, according to the Word of God, who presents to you His Word. That's my responsibility, to present to you His Word. And it's the Holy Spirit who's going to work it in you and through you. Okay, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down uh, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Now, who brought the people up out of the land of Egypt? The Lord. But the Lord is saying, here, Moses, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. And when we first read this, it seems a little bit confusing. Like Moses has a great argument to bring against God and really is giving God some good advice. But we're going to find a little bit later on when I explain it, that's not the case at all. The Lord is giving Moses an opportunity to recognize that he's simply a servant. So anyway, verse 8, They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molten calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, the Lord is saying, and my wrath will burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you a great nation. So, what's going on here? Well, we'll find out in a moment. But the next portion that we get into, I want you to notice how many times the word your and you is used. Now, your, your, the word your, is a subjective personal pronoun when it is used in replacement of a name or person. And uh, it is only a uh, possessive adjective when it is used to describe something, like, for instance, your hat or your meal or your coat. So the way it's used here, it is definitely used as a subjective personal pronoun. So verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, which is Jacob. His name was changed to Israel, if you recall. Your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and you shall inherit it forever." So now, why this subjective personal pronoun? Because Moses is trying to take the responsibility and put it right on God's shoulders. This is all your fault. You're the one who did all this. And he has a wrong attitude. And the Lord is giving Moses a chance for his attitude to change, which we will find it, it, it certainly did. Verse 14, So the Lord relented from the harm which uh, he said... 
that he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony uh, were in, in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other side they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. What did that look like? I mean, this is telling us God is the one who engraved the tablets. It was his writing. I mean, what does God's handwriting look like? How amazing. Verse 17. Then Joshua, you remember Joshua went up with Moses, but then when they were getting near the top, you know, Moses said to Joshua, stay here. But So Joshua is coming down with Moses. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, He said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise or the cry of defeat, but it is the sound of singing I hear. And as I mentioned earlier, it's very likely that maybe the Israelites thought Moses was dead. Now you have to remember, this was a huge group, but they were one family, 12 brothers, were the progenitors of this entire group. They all were one family. And so they're thinking, well, probably Moses died. And he's the one who's been directing us and telling us how to live and what to do and and how God would have us relate to him. But he's gone now, and so why don't we just come up with something that, that, you know, we can identify with, something that will help us, you know, look to God and to have a form of worship. But, of course, the problem is the form of worship they developed was idolatry. And, of course, it wasn't God's will or purpose. And I think of how often have we thought when we haven't heard from the Lord for a while, well, maybe the Lord wants me to do this, or maybe the Lord wants me to do that. It might not be forming or fashioning a golden calf, but maybe it's like, well, maybe the Lord thinks this or that. Do you know why the Lord is quiet oftentimes when we say, I haven't heard from the Lord Here's the reason the Lord is quiet. Because you're not listening. Most often, I mean, there are times the Lord is quiet because he wants us to come to a place of just trusting him and having faith in him. You know, it takes less faith when we absolutely know the Lord's saying, do this, or the Lord is saying to do that. That's wonderful. But there are those times he wants to develop our faith, and therefore he's quiet. Something that we're not used to. Because we're never quiet, right? Even when we're not talking, we're not quiet. You know, our hearts and our minds. But the Lord was trying to teach them to be patient and to have faith and to trust in him. Because the reality is once we take our eyes off the Lord, it doesn't take long for us to lapse into idolatry. You know, um, when we take our eyes off the Lord, it is when we cease to trust Him. It's when we allow our anxieties and our fears to overtake our faith. It's all about faith. And yet our own fears and anxieties can interfere with our faith because then we start wanting to figure things out rather than just waiting upon the Lord. Because the interesting thing is, Moses, his 40 days had ended. The Lord was going to send Moses down from Mount Sinai to take you know, his word to the people and to minister to them. If they would have waited 24 hours, this might have never happened. 
but they couldn't wait anymore. They're, they're, they're you know, oh, we got to do something. And of course, so often, the something that people do is the wrong thing. In Matthew 20, uh, 26, 34, Jesus said to him, and um, remember Peter, Lord, even if all others turn from you, I will not turn from you. I'm the best disciple here. There's no one who loves you like I do. I promise you, Lord, I'll tell you what, even if I have to die, I won't turn from you. And this is what Jesus said to him in Matthew 26 and verse 34. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And guess what? That night before the rooster crowed, he denied him three times. Why? Because he became anxious and fearful. A little servant girl sitting by the fire says, You're one of his disciples, weren't you? No, I'm not. I mean, he just vehemently denied the Lord three times, just as the Lord said. But you know the wonderful thing about this is, is how loving and restoring the Lord is. Because after the Lord rose from the dead, remember he asked about the disciples and Peter. And remember when uh, Jesus was on the shore cooking, and they were out you know, in the boat, and then they weren't catching anything, and the man on shore, they didn't know it was Jesus, said, cast your net on the other side, and they didn't. The boat was sinking, there were so many fish. And Peter said, it's the Lord. And so it said he took off his outer garments, he jumped in the water and swam to land. Now, one of the beautiful things is, I don't know if you ever caught this, three times the Lord gave Peter an opportunity to say he loved him. He said, Peter, do you love me? Phileo. Peter, do you love me? Phileo. That's brotherly love. And then the third time he said, Peter, do you love me? Agapeos. That's the unconditional love that we can only have from God. And remember, Peter said, you know I love you. You know all things. But do you realize the, the beautiful mercy and grace of God? Peter knew that three times, as Jesus predicted, he denied the Lord. And three times the Lord gave him opportunity to say he loved him. What a God we serve. In Zechariah 13, 7, it says, Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that was also used as a prophecy in the Gospels. And so we have to realize if the shepherd is struck, the sheep scatter. But here's the point. Our shepherd has already been struck on our behalf. No one can strike him again. No one can push him away again. And therefore, you and I never have to scatter we belong to Jesus. If my belonging to Jesus means I'm going to die right here in this spot, I'll do it. Because I belong to Jesus. Because I love him. You know, many people, I don't know if you've ever studied church history or whatever, but during the Inquisition, 36 million people, men and women and even some children, were put to death. 36 million. Because they refused they refused to deny the, perf- per, you know, the perfect deity of Jesus Christ. All they had to do was compromise. Compromise and you'll live. No, we'll die at the stake. In fact, one man, Cromwell, who at the time was an Anglican um, Church of you know, England bishop, and Oliver Cromwell, and remember he was going to be burned at the stake, and he became so fearful 
that he actually signed and he recanted his faith in the, in, in the word of God. Then he turned around and he recanted his recantation. He said, no, I was wrong. Jesus is the only way. And, and the way that you're trying to tell me I should follow is wrong. So they took him and they burned him at the stake. And when the fire started, Oliver Cromwell put, put out his hands over the flames. And he said, the first part I want consumed is the part that betrayed my Lord. Wow. Isn't that amazing? How can anyone do that? No one can. But the Holy Spirit in you is capable of doing all things. You wonder, how can I, how can I ever stand up against this? Or how can I ever stand up against that? You can't. But he, the Holy Spirit, dwelling within your cardia, your heart, your inner man, can give you the strength to do all things. Now, some people have asked me, what this, what's this whole thing about the earrings, breaking the earrings out of their ears and making it, you know, melting them and forming it into the golden calf? The fact that the children of Israel still put earrings in their wives and their children's ears and their slaves' ears showed that they were still following pagan practices. That was a pagan practice. That anyone who was in submission to you in your household wore an earring. You didn't. In fact, part of the ceremony of becoming a man and becoming independent was when the earring was taken out of your ear as a man. But women all wore earrings and children wore earrings as a sign of subjection. But it was pagan. It was never of the word of God. And so therefore, we look at this and they were using the gold from this pagan practice to build a golden calf for pagan practice. And we have to make sure that we never fall to that. All I want to do is worship Jesus. All I want to do is follow him. I don't want to allow myself to, myself to compromise or to make excuses. In fact, if you take notes, write down Genesis 35, verses 2 through 4. And Jacob goes through this whole thing about the, the, the gold earrings and how it's paganism. But I don't ever want to allow any kind of pagan practice to come into my life or to come into my heart. I just want to follow Jesus. And like Pastor Frank Jr. brought out so beautifully this morning, we have to realize it's not about the law. It's about the mercy seat covering the law. Remember the law was in the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat was over it. It's all about grace and mercy. So you have to realize that I'm not here to give you some kind of a legalistic doctrine and to keep my eye on you and to make sure you're doing what you should be doing. My responsibility is simply to present to you the Word of God. Freely you've received. Freely you give. I'm just giving you the Word of God. And you need to allow the Word of God to enter into your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life. Because, let me just give you a silly example, okay? All right. You have someone in here, and the Lord has spoken to them and said, said I don't want you watching any TV at all. The Lord really spoke that to them. And they don't watch any TV. And that's great. That's what the Lord spoke to them. But then if they turn around and they say to other believers, if you're watching TV, you're a heathen and going to hell. Now, they have taken a beautiful love relationship between them and the Lord, and they have turned it into a legalistic religious practice. Now, there are obvious things. You know, you look at the Ten Commandments. There's never a time that the Lord relents on that and say, you know what, if you kill someone once in a while, it's okay. 
No, the Lord never relents on any of the, of the law that he has clearly laid out in his word. But there's so many things that we take that are just our own personal understandings or our own personal relationship with the Lord, and we're trying to push that on other people as well. And like Pastor Frank Jr. was talking about the difference between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. You know, Jesus died and he rose again on the third day of the week. And the Apostle John, he was worshiping the Lord on the third day of the week. That's Sunday. Uh, the eighth day, the first day of the week, Sunday. And um, here's the difference. The Sabbath was legalistic and harsh. And we read, he read it this morning, Pastor Frank read it this morning. You don't keep the Sabbath and you die. But the Lord's Day is God giving a free will offering to his people. Hey, gather together and worship me. And if you can't make it to church some Sunday, we're not going to hunt you down and stone you. If you can't make it to church for this reason or that reason, that's fine. It's between you and the Lord. The worship service is an opportunity for us to gather together to have fellowship with the Lord and with one another. And that's why it says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. If some have grown into the custom of doing, but come together and all the more you see that day approaching. It's not talking about some legalistic force thing. It's saying, do not forsake in the sense that, hey, this is good for you. You know, it'd be like me saying, don't forget, make sure you drink at least 60 ounces of water a day. You know, it's just something that's for your good. And the worship service is, you know, the, the, the Lord's Day, just something for your good. It's, some, it's not some legalistic um, you know, requirement that's put on people. Now, it's so amazing to me that these same people that were dro- brought up out of bondage to Egypt, they saw the most amazing miracles God had ever displayed. I mean, you think about all the miracles that were wrought, and, you know, all the way to the, uh, you know, the death of the firstborn, unless they put the blood of the lamb on, on their lentils and do- doorposts. I mean, all the miracles they saw and how quickly they turned from him. And one of the things that I find interesting is that physical relationship, alcohol, and revelry That was what evolved out of their rejection of the Lord. And how often is that also true today? Now, this shows us that God desired to redeem Israel. We have to realize that God was not saying, gee, I don't know what to do here. Hey, Moses, can you give me a hand? And Moses said, well, Lord, you know, if you you go down and destroy these people, what are the Egyptians going to think? God doesn't work that way. He knows all things from beginning to end. So what was the whole purpose of this discourse then? The Lord was giving Moses an opportunity to go from being judge to being an intercessor. And that's a lesson we can all learn. We all have to move from being the judge. You should do this. You should do that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. To move from being the judge to being the intercessor. And, of course, we know that Moses did do that. He interceded on behalf of the people. You know, the Lord wasn't saying, gee, Moses, that's a good point. I never thought of that. You understand what, I'm, what I mean? When Moses is laying all this out, the Lord knew all that. But now he's seen Moses' heart, and he's seen that Moses desires to intercede for the people, which makes him the kind of leader, the, the, the kind of pastor, in a sense, the Lord wanted to use in ministering to the children of Israel. And to me, it's such a powerful example of intercessory prayer. 
praying in love for those that we love, even when they're being disobedient. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, they're down there getting drunk in all kinds of revelry, doing who knows what. And it wasn't like Moses said, yes, Lord, look at them, smite them. He interceded for them. He interceded for them while they were in the midst of their sin. And it's a wonderful thing to know how much the Lord loves us. The Lord never operates towards us in anger and vengeance. He works towards us in love. If you love me, he said, you obey my commands. He didn't say, you obey my commands or else I'll tell you what, I'm going to smack you down. He just says, hey, this is a chance for you to express your love to me. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Now, Moses, as I said, was being tested. And the thing we have to realize that um, it's not like the children of Israel in their disobedience, the Lord didn't do anything in order to help them to remember. We're going to find that they had to drink the bitterness of their own sin. We'll get to that at a later time. But the Lord also gave them complete forgiveness. And the point of that is this. Because we are saved, because we're born-again Christians, because we live under the grace and mercy of God, it doesn't mean that we won't experience consequences for our sin. But we'll experience full forgiveness. We'll experience full restoration. You follow what I'm saying? And that is the point that is being made here. In Numbers 32:23, this is the last verse I'm covering. It says, but if you... Do not do so, in other words, as far as being obedient to the Lord's word. Then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And sometimes I think what happens is because we haven't felt the consequences of the Lord's hand on whatever sin we might be dealing with, that we think, well, it's okay with the Lord. The Lord really doesn't mind. No, your sin will find you out. But once again realize that our sin being found out isn't because the Lord is harsh and angry with us. The Lord wants to restore us. He wants to make us right with him. And so when our sin finds us out, what does it do? It gives us opportunity to say, Jesus, forgive me a sinner. And you know what Jesus says every time? Forgiven. And remembered no more. I've taken your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, and they're remembered no more. That's the God we serve. I'm, I'm so thankful for the Old Testament. I'm so thankful for what we read and the instructions that we find. Because I heard this many, many years ago, that the Old Testament is Jesus concealed, and the New Testament is Jesus revealed. But the Old Testament's all about Jesus. I don't know if you know that. Jesus was with God from the beginning. How many times through the Old Testament do we have a theophany? A theophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, where Jesus appeared in physical form and spoke to people. But it was before his incarnation, before he came in the flesh. So Jesus is in the Bible from the beginning. Remember what he said after the fall? And he was speaking, God was speaking to Satan. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. Woman doesn't have a seed. It was a prophecy of the virgin birth. 
And he said, you're going to strike his heel, crucifixion, but he's going to crush your head. Satan is defeated. He's a defeated foe. And the victory is yours in Jesus Christ. There's victory in Jesus. We love that song, don't we? Father, we thank you for the victory you've given us. We thank you for your word and how powerfully it is, it is able to speak to our heart and souls. And I pray, Father, that everyone who is here today, who has heard your word, who has felt the, the speaking of your still small voice, that they would seek after you with all of their heart, mind, soul, and spirit. They would love you supremely and love their neighbors themselves. And so, Father, take what you have used your unprofitable servant to speak and apply it to the hearts and lives of these, your beautiful children. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God bless you, my friends.